Good evening, everybody. We are here with the 61st session of the Q&A. We have questions, and uh, not that many, but we do have questions, which I guess will be enough for today. And we thank God today is... The 3rd of April. The 3rd of April. Tomorrow is Resurrection Sunday. And uh, all around the Christian world, I hope you're having a good time. I know it's not easy, but God is still there. In the midst of it all, God is there. And I pray today's Q&A would be a blessing. The answers would be a blessing that God would give us the wisdom to answer some of the questions. So before we go into Q&A, Pastor Vijay, would you lead us in prayer? Father in heaven, we just want to thank you, Father, for this time. Yes, Lord. Father, we confess that you are good and you are good all the time. Your word says all things work together for the good of those who love you and who are thee called according to your purpose. And we want to thank you, Father, for the session that you have given us, O Lord, of Q&A. So many questions that your children have. Father, questions, Father, that are difficult issues in their life, O Lord. And I pray, Father, that, Lord, you would grant a special anointing to your servant, O Lord, even as we tackle these questions. And that you would give us all hearing ears, O Lord, and willing hearts to accept the word that you that you're going to speak into our situations, O Lord, Father. Father, grant us wisdom and grant all of us the Father, the willingness to receive your word, O Lord, Father, and obey what you what you speak to our hearts this evening, O Lord. We commit this entire time into your hands. Let your name be glorified and let your word be magnified in every situation, O Lord. We thank you. We praise you. We give you glory. For in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. 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 Yes, Pastor. We'll Pastor, we'll start with question number nine. Okay. So this is from abroad. Most of the smaller churches here, run by Malayalis, Tamilians, Sri Lankans, Telugu groups, etc., have deep embedded politics, jealousy, envy, and are judgmental. <laughs> Some of those churches gave way for uh, legalistic thinking and shunned away single parents, etc., too. Sorry to the uh, sorry to say this, but this is the reality. People fleeing from oppression and bondage and being traumatic, these churches offer an add-on layer of pain and judgment. Even Jesus' radical encounter with Samaritan woman is stuck within the word for them with no real-time compassion. Some other smaller group churches, uh, smaller churches focus heavily on demons or deliverance only and relate everything to a demonic entity. Most of the medium-sized churches run by the whites here are not not judgmental, but doctrinally sound as well, etc. In this context, dread to stay within the dirty politics of small church, though an idea of a small church family is good. What are your views on staying in a political smaller churches church churches group in oppression, rejection, etc., versus a fairly non-judgmental but doctrinally sound church? Okay, the answer is there itself, of course. Doctrinally, non-judgmental churches. But when you come to this question, you know, the the fundamental principle about the church, if you look at when the church began, is given in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. That's where the church begins. And that's the church. Okay, that's the church. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in breaking of bread and in prayers. <clears throat> we will see. If these four things go together, a church is established. Other places are just houses where people gather to have a program and they go back home. 
technically you cannot call them scripturally as a church because a church is a body of believers. It's a family. Mm. They work in different, different places and all. But it's a community of believers in so many ways share a common life. And the Bible says they're over there. And what is common first is the instruction they receive. It mm. is the apostles, the doctrine. It's a common instruction. Second, there is a common life that is lived together. That is fellowship. And the breaking of bread is basically talking about the communion with Christ. Why is that we came together? And then there is constant prayer. That's a unity that is achieved in prayer. This is the key. And whenever we you choose, you visit churches, you check out churches, but ultimately when you are looking at a church, you have to look whether these things, in one way or other, these four things come together. If these four things don't come together, a church, okay, people may like the music, but there is no mention of music here at all. Mm -hmm. Actually, if you read the whole New Testament, the book of Acts onwards, you never see music being, being mentioned, okay? Though it's a big thing today. If the music is great, people will come. And why do you go? Because they will say, worship is so great. But actually, you need to realize that worship is more an individual thing than a corporate worship, yes. But ultimately, it's an individual thing. God is looking for worshipers who will worship in spirit and truth. That is not the reason. Though all this should be good, but that is not the reason what makes a church. Like, if you look at the millions of people who subscribe to Hillsong, what do you know Hillsong about? It's not about doctrine. Doctrine is wonky. It's not about fellowship. There is no fellowship at all. It is about music. Hmm. And they have become such a huge church in Australia and US and all. And it's already built on music. But that's not what a church is built on. A church is fundamentally first built on doctrine. Is the doctrine sound? Is it apostolic? Is it scriptural? An equal pillar is fellowship. Mm. How do that community which has received this doctrine <laughs> live together as a family? Mm. How does it, if you go in the simple unit, is a home. You go to a home. Homes exist based on a doctrine. Yes. If you don't have a doctrine for a home, the home is just a house. It is not a home. There is a doctrine for a home, a fundamental doctrine into which every member of the family subscribes to. If one member of the family does not subscribe to the, to the doctrine of the house, then he becomes a prodigal son who leaves. Yes. He said, give me my inheritance. I want to leave. Why is he leaving? Because he's not able to subscribe to the doctrine. And there is a father, there is a mother, there are two sons. One leaves doctrine. And once that person leaves because he's not able to accept the doctrine of the home, there's a break in fellowship. There's a break in fellowship. He's not able to fellowship with them. So he goes not to a close-by place. He goes to a far Far away country. Okay. So you need to realize if you look in a home or a church, it is the same. And then he has to come back to his senses in his mind, ascribe to the doctrine of that house. He agrees the doctrine was right. That is why the life is good there, because the doctrine is right, and the life fellowship is there good. He comes back, and he's restored back to fellowship. Mm -hmm. So this is fundamental, whether it is a home or a church, we have to look at it. So size matters for fellowship. A big church may be very good fundamentally, because the structure is already there. You have so much talent over there. They have resources. But honestly, when it comes to a big church, (coughs) what you have, in so many ways, it's a program. What you don't have is fellowship. 
unless a church has small groups and that small groups are connected very well. <coughs> like let us say a large church in Hyderabad and there is a small group from that church based in Alwal and all those who are from Alwal is part of that group and they know each other. Okay, that is how this concept about cell groups. But let us be honest about it. As far as I know, most cell groups don't function well. See, this the issue with the cell group is that the cell group, it's very difficult for the cell group to replace the church. Very difficult. Mm-hmm. Okay, difficult for it to replace the church. Yet, if that is the way it is, and that's the church you belong to, and it's a fundamentally sound church, and the cell groups are working well, ultimately you won't find any perfect place on earth. Okay, but try to find the best place. But like I said, the issue over here is doctrine. And the problem with the doctrine is there are so many, like I said, there are two ditches on both sides of this narrow path. Yes. One is the law. Yes. And there are legalistic, very law, and they will bring the law in and they will make life miserable. Then there is the other one who have no law at all. It is just the world. It is it is the other side, the law, legal and the liberal. And there is a pathway in between. And there will be people who are like the sister who wrote, comes from a broken home. Uh, it's a single mother. So single mothers and all in this legalistic kind of churches will not be accepted at all. They will not be accepted. Divorced people will not be accepted. Single parents won't be accepted. They look down upon you. Look down upon you. But church, Jesus accepted everybody. Mm. He accepted everybody and he changes them. He changes them. Okay, so legalistic churches are more like the law who brings and says, cast a stone. But God doesn't accept that. That's not, that is, that is not a church. That is not a church. We are not talking about condoning sin because this is not that. This is not even that case. This is people who are coming through trauma. You know? So ultimately it becomes a special category kind of a church. Only certain kind of people will be accepted. All kind of people will not be accepted. You know? And they have decided what is clean and what is unclean. And it is not based upon their living, it is based on what they have gone through. And most people would not be welcome in their churches. And you need to leave those churches. You cannot stay in those churches. Ultimately, it will, dis- it will, it will affect you. You just, you, you, do, you just don't go to a church because of sentiments or anything. You go to a church because it is sound. It is doctrinally sound. And the doctrine is basically the doctrine of grace. It's the doctrine of grace. Okay, and the doctrine of grace is not there in that church. The truth becomes law. You take grace out of truth, what truth looks like is law. And many churches are law. There's no truth there because grace has been taken out. Grace has been taken out. And this is the age of grace. So we have to check out churches. And if it's a, you see, sometimes people all talk about white, white supremacy and race. But this is written by an Indian lady in a white country. And she's saying, you know, those churches are more non-judgmental. Non-judgmental. And so it's much more easy. Easy to stay among them. And live among them. Which is true. Or you can say whatever you want. I have checked out races. And I will tell you, I found the white race. Let us say the white race. You can call them supremacy or whatever. I found them to be one of the most large, accommodating, large-hearted people. Yes. Because, especially because we know we run orphanages. When it comes to adoption, 
I've never seen any other race adopt all kinds of people, children of every race. Not only that, special needs children. Very rarely do you see people of other races accommodating children of all colors and all disabilities and bringing them on their own. And you may call, you can call them names, but I always ask, why is that? Why is that? And I believe it's a genetic makeup, meaning they have a history of 2,000 or thousands of years of Christianity in yes, them. Yes. And that has actually changed them, while the other races have a shorter uh, period of being Christian. So they have that ethos in them. Culturally, it has been passed down. Like you say, the Jews are very smart. Oh, yeah, they're very smart because they're people of the covenant for the past 4,000 years. Yeah. So there is a genetic that has passed on to them. So they are smart in the same way when it comes to grace. I see the white man is more... Okay, there are wicked white men also, but they're wicked men everybody. But when it comes to grace, let me be very be honest about it. I'm talking as a brown man. I have found the white man to be more gracious, more gracious than anybody else. The way they can accept. You no, know, even Derek Prince and all. How many children so did yes, they have? Ninety? Yes. How yes. many did they? All the adopt all. You know, all. I've seen them. Mm. Full of children they will adopt. And they don't discriminate either. They will take them all and bring them up all as their own. So you will see sometimes, you no, know, put away racial blinkers off and see which church is non-judgmental, yet doctrinally sound, <coughs> yet it's a community of believers, and there is judgment too, the breaking of bread, <coughs> and there is vibrant prayer life. It's a church that prays. You know what? You call it home. Mm. And I would say, stick to that. There's no point in being in a very political small church. <laughs> and a small church is a good in way. It is good because you have a sense of belonging. But if that is not there, then look for what also, is the also, also, the, also the fact that uh, in this days and day and age, you have more number of people who are going through trauma, trauma, and so much. It's, going it's, it's like it's so a much. majority of them yeah. is like in that category. So much, yeah. Going. Pastor, we'll also look at uh, another the question number eight because again, it's a general question. Yes. Uh, some pastors keep approaching people in overseas to keep supporting their ministry. Some groom few vulnerable, some groom few vulnerable who are in deep distress. Pray and give a prophetic word of their past and present, etc., and then keep asking to support their ministry, etc., and keep them sort of bound to it. Is it biblical to keep asking people for help so they could support poor or help uh, during foods pandemic um, through their ministry? I would say no. I would say no because these are people who ask from. See, one of the thing is that. <coughs> When, other than the local church you belong to, any other ministry that is online, you should be doing it, it should be voluntary. Mm. It is, you should be voluntary. You, know? you cannot have an online ministry and then ask them to start supporting your ministry. Because ultimately, you are not present in their lives. You are not accountable for their souls. Mm. You are not accountable for their souls. So, I have issues. If they voluntarily choose to give, it's a different thing. But a lot of pastors, you know, their entire ministry is based overseas. Overseas. It's based on overseas. And they call, anyway, thank God. In some ways, I like the FCRA being taken away from all this Christian. I like it, you know, because people have to learn to depend upon God. <coughs> God will make a way. He will open the doors, you know. 
and then pastors will go on this trip, mission trip abroad. The only purpose is to raise money. Mm. <coughs> Nothing else to raise money. Okay, and the problem is what happens is the dependence of God is gone. The dependent upon, and then they use this, like I said, what like that's this person, right? It's used prophetic words. Okay, it becomes more like divination after a point. <coughs> no, when you do divination, you have to give the diviners fee. The Bible also talks about it. You have to give the diviners fee. So they make a prophetic utterance, and some of the things may be true, and then say, now so into my ministry. And we know in all our Indian channels and all his bank account number also is crawled at the, I mean, it's such a humiliation when you look at it. I mean, it Which makes... QR code also. Yeah, QR code also. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, all these things comes and it becomes a racket. It becomes a racket. Okay, especially when you don't even know these people. Do you really know these people overseas? Do you really know them? Do you really know they are saved? Do you really intercede for them? Do you stand in the gap for them? Are you responsible for their souls? And this COVID shutdown has increased this. Hmm. You know, increased this. And it's very easy. It's very easy, especially if you use the prophetic gift. It's very easy to pray on these people. And then after some time, you know, you become a, you have to become a partner with them. Partner means that you have to regularly keep sending your money. Okay. But the problem is when it comes to that, I have issues and I look into the scripture. I have issues into that. It doesn't work like that. God wants us to be part of a, part of a church and you need to be under shepherds who are responsible for your souls. That's what the Bible says. The joy, the, the, Life ministry may be happy yes. because they are responsible for your soul. And then think about if an online ministry with 100,000 people, who are you responsible for? Mm. What are you responsible for? You know, and it, I have issues and I don't subscribe to this at all. That is why in our webpage we have lot thousands of people listening and all, but there is no option to give any money. There's no option to give any money. You cannot send money to us. You can send money to us. Now, unless we really, really know you for sure that you belong to God and you are saved and you're consistently uh, listening to us. You don't really have a church where you can go over there. We have to go through all these parameters before we will even allow you to send an offering, which is rare. <coughs> yes. So, uh, this is a, this is question number 10. It's a, it's a session by in itself, but yeah. I think you can just... Uh, make a few comments upon on it. Uh, by the way, I'm not saying that if online you are blessed by somebody whose teaching has really blessed you, you should not send an offering. I'm not saying that. The Bible says that too. If six I'm, nine. Galatians. Yeah, Galatians six nine talks about that too. If you are scripturally bound, if somebody let us. Oh, sorry. Uh, you know, spiritually. Yeah. Six 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 six. Yeah, six 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 six. six, six. six, six. Let him, Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. teaches. So if somebody teaches you the word consistently, you know, he teaches you the word, then uh, you are blessed by that teaching. Like, let us say, if Derek Prince was alive, I would have sent him an offering <laughs> because he's blessed me. Okay, he's blessed me, you know. <coughs> so God says, he who teaches. So that that's fine. But we are not talking about that over here. This is basically being bound to a set of people who just prophesies over you, mm. over you, and then start saying, keep sending your offerings, which 
which is not scriptural. Yes, Pastor Vijay. Yes, Pastor. This is a session in itself, Pastor, but I think you mm. can make uh, a few yeah. preliminary comments. Differenting, uh, this is uh, question number 10. Different parenting methods of raising a baby toddler to a child, preteens, teens, etc. And heaps of hormonal and behavioral changes and fluctuations in their confidence levels, etc. And every phase has its parenting joys and challenges. Oh. Can you please do a separate session or share some principles of raising boys to godly valiant men and girls to a strong warrior of faith, different principles of raising boys and girls? Like I said, it's a huge session yes. at all. But remember, there are seasons. One of the things we need to realize, there are seasons. And no, no person should skip seasons. That's why God puts seasons. Like now, we summer is here, but in most parts of the world, it is spring. After spring will come summer, after summer will come autumn, and after autumn will come winter. There are four seasons primarily. In the same way, there are seasons in human beings' life, and God ordained those seasons. And we should never skip seasons. A baby is a baby, and a baby should be treated as a baby. A toddler is a toddler. A toddler should not be be taught teenage things. Yes, yes. Okay? We have to allow. Sometimes in our, this thing to make our child into a genius, you know, we will try to do all kind of things. But what happens is they miss seasons. Mm. And those seasons only come one time in your life. One time, that's what I keep telling children, what should they be doing now? Playing like crazy. Mm. They should be playing. But the season doesn't come back. The season doesn't come back, you know. And we have to be very, very careful because parents sometimes put so much pressure on the child, the child doesn't grow normally. Normally, you know, you find a six-year-old child, seven-year-old child talking like an adult, we find it very cute, but it's not cute. Mm. It's not cute. You look at him and you realize him or her, you realize, you know what, she has skipped seasons. <laughs> she has seasons. Where are you getting all this from? Where are you getting all this from? You're getting this because you're skipping your season. You're skipping your season. Okay, so actually what happens is when that person grows up, you will see that person doesn't fit in with the community. Doesn't fit in with the community. Okay, let us talk about, let us say, a 12-year-old child. <coughs> Conversation is all adult. Mm. It talks like a... The problem is this child will never fit in with his group. Yep. Yet, the adults will be always uncomfortable with this child. Mm. First, you will enjoy for two minutes, three minutes. After that, he will stick like a sore thumb and saying, why are you getting into adult conversation? Okay. You know what has happened? This child becomes a misfit. Misfit. Okay, he can become a genius and all. But if you look at geniuses, they never had a good family life. Whether it is Einstein or any of these people. Then really, we talk about their genius and their discoveries. But if you look at their personal lives, most of these geniuses were depressed people. They never could fit in with society. Never could fit in with society. Okay, so the whole idea is God is making us into a normal being. If you go to the book of, book of, uh, the gospel according to Luke. <coughs> Chapter 2, and verse 52. Jesus increased in wisdom, or let us use an IV. Okay, that will use the term a little better to understand. <coughs> Jesus grew. Mm. Okay, so even Jesus had to grow. Mm. Jesus had to grow. 
he didn't his father did not know he's the son of god he is god he doesn't need to go through any season he can automatically catapult to full maturity but god didn't allow that to happen to his son he had to grow he had to grow in wisdom he had to grow in stature he had to grow in his relationship with god he had to grow in his relationship with man there are four growths mentioned over there in wisdom in stature in his relationship with his god and his relationship with man he had to grow in his society in his society he had to go vertically in his relationship with god he has to grow in wisdom he, though he is the word and everything was created by them he was emptied of all of that yep. and he had to grow in his wisdom he had to grow in his wisdom he had to grow in stature so if this is what god intended for his son this is what god intends for all his sons and daughters mm. and as parents we have to allow children to grow to grow the normal way what are teenagers supposed to do teenagers are supposed to do what teenagers are supposed to do right what is um, like you have the seasons in life seasons in life and we have to be very careful about it that we don't push them and we protect them that they should not know certain things before their time. time that's what the bible is talking about hormonal changes but hormonal changes have to be explained to them carefully carefully because today you need to realize they have exports and access to every junk they should not even know about mm. know about okay they should not even know about and we have to be very careful that's where parents are the two doors know what comes in and what comes out okay we have to be careful but today that's not the way they all have gadgets phones are just given to them there's no supervision there's no security and even if you secure that when they go to school they have friends who come from unsecure homes and before you know their minds are messed up okay we cannot put have a 100% secure environment but what we can do is do the best we can mm. best we can okay and then you look at a generation and a world it is totally confused about gender and how do we bring our children up in the middle of this confusion to know their gender god made gender differences he made the male and female masculine and feminine now there is a merging of this both merging of this both where you don't know what is masculine what is feminine one time they are masculine one time they are feminine okay okay it's confusion in the middle of it how do we bring our children to be masculine the boys and how do we bring our children girls to be feminine and it goes into everything it is not going to be easy at all for modern parents it is such a difficult task that people just give up give up because the first the battle is with the parents not with the children the men have to be men and the women have to be women and there itself the battle begins battle begins you know because the modern picture is got nothing to do with scripture mm-hmm. now here this is now the equality of genders and fighting for rights and everything and the battle is not even in the world the battle is in the home mm. so when there is no unity about these things about what gender is between, between the husband and the wife the father and the mother where what are they going to teach the children what are they going to teach the children you know so we have to decide this thing that's why when, when people talk about give a session on marriage is the first question to ask is should i get married or not mm. 
Okay, should I get married or not? Am I ready to take the responsibility that goes with it? Okay, responsible. We are not, like I said, we are not responsible for the result. That's in God's hands. We are responsible for what we do. Paul plans Apollo's waters. We are only responsible for that. But we are very sure that we do what we are responsible for. Result of the child is in God's hands. Okay. It's in God's hands. We cannot. We cannot. We have no control over it. What do we have control over? What we portray? How close to scripture can I be? And we have the spirit of God to help us. So there is a literature you choose. Okay, literature you choose, which are biblical literature, where you the men are portrayed as men, the boys are brought up that way. There are girls, are, and now it's all these books are being cancelled. Yep. Mm-hmm. They're all being cancelled because they call it, they use these terms and use toxic masculinity. They use these terms and all. You need to realize there is a complete, this thing, we're coming to the end of days. When Genesis 1, 1, sorry, Genesis chapter 1 is going to be reversed completely. God's entire order is going to be reversed. We are coming to it. Yet, we know the end. We know the end. The end is, it is triumphant. And knowing the end, we have to fight for these things. It is not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing. But the battle begins with the toddler itself. The battle begins with the toddler itself. You know, sometimes parents make that mistake. No, they cut because it is summer. It is very convenient. They take the girl child. They cut it very short. Put a shorts and a t-shirt for a girl. And you look at it, you will never know it's a girl child. Or somebody wanted a uh, daughter, but you got a son. Then you all grow his hair and you put a ponytail over him and dress him in this thing and take pictures. You know, the parent is confused. Parent is confused. And then the child grows up with confusion. We have to look at all these things. Look at all these things. And the parents have to be first convinced. This is what it is. And I'm willing to pay the price for it. I may lose some friends in the process. Maybe even in the church. Who may come to church. Who may may be born again. But their ideas are all secular. A lot of people who are Christians. But their ideas are secular. Their ideas are not Christian. So you may lose friends in the process. But it is a price worth paying for. Yes, because yes, this is man. a battle. Because ultimately, I will tell you, when you stand before God, He's going to ask you about your children. Because children belong to Him. Psalm 127 is very, very clear that children belong to Him. It is a heritage. It's an inheritance. It is, And they are given to us for a season. They're given to us for a season. He says, sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from him. And verse 4, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. I preached this long time back. Every arrow is first a reed in the field. Yes. Every arrow is a reed in the field. A reed does not become arrow by accident. It is hand-picked hand-picked, okay, and then it is balanced, it is balanced, it is shaved very, very carefully, it has, it, it, the, the, the warrior prepares his arrow, but when he found it, it was just one of the reeds in that field, but by the time he's finished, it is kept in its skewer, okay, and it is not alone that, one day the arrow has to be released. As long as it leaves and stays in the cure, it has no meaning, it has to be released, 
it has to be released okay so you will see jacob had 11 sons we leave benjamin out of it and in the second vision you will see there are these sheaves mm. which are bent but joseph is upright yes. joseph is upright and that was the cue the arrow in god's cue the mighty man is god that is the arrow that is released though he had 10 sons the 10 sons could not be used for anything could not be anything though they were all from the same block they were all reeds in the same field one was upright and one could be used the others refused to be trained yes. and all 10 of them ultimately fulfill only one purpose is in bringing forth israel but they could not be used by god in their generation only one could be so we need to realize that these are all lessons they have to become an arrow in the hands of a warrior okay and they will contend with their enemies in the gate okay one day but for a reed to become an arrow it goes through a process it goes through a process okay and if you if you if you want to ask if you read the account of manoah and his wife that samson is going to be birth you will see the instructions are all given to the parents yes. and to the mother we will think instructions are manoah says how will i tell us what should i do and say this is what she should do she should do so that he can be birthed so instructions are given to the parents that you follow these instructions you know what happens the child will turn out to be a mighty arrow in the hands of a mighty man though the parents must have followed the instructions i believe they did the son did not turn out right he still did not turn out right i don't know why he did not turn out right where was the problem i do not know i have a feeling maybe they didn't take the instruction seriously they didn't take the instruction seriously but in this subsequent case in the book of samuel hannah takes instructions very seriously and it is a voluntary oath she says my son shall be a nazarite from birth she takes her instruction seriously and you will see samuel on the other hand becomes an arrow in the hands of god and he never goes off target mm. he always stays the course so we have these pictures over there we have these pictures over there and we take courage from those pictures and stay the course it is not easy mm. but that's what i said we need to have strong convictions <coughs> if you don't have convictions we don't follow up things one of the reasons parents give up or men give up or women give up or parents give up is because they don't have strong convictions conviction is when you have a truth in the bible and you know it is true a lot of people know it is true that is not enough it has gone deep inside it has become not just a way of your thinking it has become your way of life and you will not budge from it because you know it is true and it is not only true now it is true eternally so you won't know, you won't know, you won't diverge from it you hang on to that and say you know i am willing to stand against the whole society and you will have a daniel and three friends who will stand alone because they are absolutely convinced this is true and god stands with them they are thrown into the fire because of their convictions but god stands them with them in the fire so we have these pictures yes pastor vijay wow it's a huge session in itself like the parents said was this uh, the tough um, question number 6 onwards 6 mm-hmm. and 7 uh, together we will look at look at them yeah is it wrong to kill in self defense uh, no when you claim to be raped yeah we'll look at the first one is it wrong to kill in self defense depending if your life is in danger 
it is not wrong to kill in self-defense. Okay, it's not even considered uh, wrong in the eyes of the law. Mm-hmm. No, you are allowed to kill. I mean, as far as possible, try not to kill. But at that point, you are not going to aim for the foot or anything unless you are a practice shooter or whatever it is. So it's a knife or whatever. It's a fight. They have come to kill you. They have to kill your family, whatever it is. And ultimately, in self-defense, you kill the intruder. It is fine. I don't think it's wrong. Biblically, it is not wrong. Premeditated murder is something else. Okay, that's what it's talking about. But in the defense of your family, if you end up killing the intruder, it is not a sin. Then. And the second part says, when you claim to be raped or forced into sex, but then you lay down and enjoy it, what does God see it as? Oh, that's a very tough question. Question, because this happens. Okay. Now, medically there is a term for it. Medically there is a term for it. In the sense like, let us say, let us like, because the big audience, let us put it in terms of something. <coughs> let us say, Raj is fasting. Okay, he's on a protest fast. Protest fast. But he's arrested and he's force fed. And what he likes biryani. And he's force force-fed what you call biryani. Do you think his taste buds will stop working because he's on a protest? No. The taste buds will automatically work. Well, that's part of your body system. Okay? Taste buds will automatically. Okay? So what happens is that his mind is rebelling, but his body is taking it because in the same way when people are raped, you know what happens? The, the, the body may work. Though you may be, may be rejecting it in your mind, it's traumatic for you in your mind. The body works in a different way. Oh. Okay, works in a different way. So how does God see it? He still sees it as violation. Okay? Still sees it as violation. So please understand, you can take it, you can, uh, let us, let us say that, okay, I don't drink. I don't drink. But if I am tired and I am alcohol is put it into my mouth and through a tube send it to my stomach, won't I become drunk? Yes. We'll become drunk. Okay? We'll become drunk. So you need to understand that is how it works. So there is a medical term for it. I forgot. There's a term for it. So how does God see it? He still sees it as rape. Still sees it as rape. And he does not see you as being complicit in it just because your body, the hormones, whatever works. He doesn't see you. What looks into is that what is happening in your mind. You're still rejecting it. Mm. You're still rejecting it. Okay, so, or it's called involuntary orgasm. It's not voluntary. It's involuntary. Okay, you're not volunteering into it. It's an involuntary because your body takes takes over, okay? And it's still considered rape under the law. Still considered rape under the law. And, but God sees you and you have rejected it in your mind but your body functions in a different way. It is still, you are still considered innocent. Okay. <coughs> so why did God allow Dina to be there? See, God doesn't allow things. You need to understand uh, one of the fundamental principles is the principle of free will. If God is allowing everything in his sovereignty, yes, 
But if God is daily intervening into everything that you and I do, then the question is, where does my free will come? Mm. One of the first things God makes into man, he makes him an autonomous being where he has the freedom to choose. Even in the Garden of Eden, before the fall, he has the freedom to choose. That's why he told him not to eat. If it was impossible for him to eat, then he doesn't have to be said, we have the freedom to choose. If you go into dinner, you will see what happens with the dinner over there in Genesis. There's a fundamental reason why that happens. If you come to Genesis chapter 33 and verse 19 and 20. Okay. For a hundred pieces of silver he bought from sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. And there he set an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. That's the first fundamental mistake that Jacob made. He should have gone to Bethel. Bethel. He stayed at Shechem. That's the first mistake he made. He should not have stayed there. That was not the place where he was told to go by God. He was told to go to Bethel. He stayed at Shechem. Okay? God had met him at Bethel. Okay? He stayed here. He made his first mistake. Like the mistake Lot made. He pitched his tent near Sodom. This guy went and pitched his tent near the carnal world. And then 34 says, she went out for a walk. And Dina, the daughter of Leah, had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. And that is where the fall comes. Fall comes. Okay, she goes out. Okay, was she accompanied by her brothers? No. She went out alone into a pagan city whose customs are not what the Hebrews knew. And there she gets into trouble. So why did God allow it? Because she in her, Jacob in his free will, and if you look at it after the whole mess in chapter 34, look at verse 1. 35 verse 1. Got it? Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel. Now turn me to chapter 31 when he is in Haran. And verse 13. Got it? God said to, yeah, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. What is God asking him? He's asking him to go to Bethel. Mm. This guy doesn't go to Bethel. He goes stays that she came. Mm. And that's where he makes a mistake. Makes a mistake. We we, we learned this during the lockdown yes, yes. that there are altars Abraham built. And we are not supposed to stay at the altar that she came. We are supposed to move from Shechem to Bethel. And that's where the mistake happens. But who pays the price? Dina pays the price. Okay, and also there is a fundamentally another issue over here. Remember, if you go to Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, 315. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between you, your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So the first promise about Christ coming is talking about 
the enmity between you and woman, between your offspring and hers. It's her offspring. So it is not spoken about as man's offspring, but the woman's offspring. Because Christ in so many ways is a virgin birth. Mm. But it's not clear. It's not clear. It is not clear. So that is why this entire thing to mess up. So Genesis 6 will say the sons of God, so the daughters of mess. It is messing it up. And one line is free, that is Noah's. Okay. Now the line is narrowing down. By the time Abraham is moved into the promised land, you get to know it is through Abraham it is going to come. So then there is Ishmael comes. But it is not through Ishmael, it is through Isaac. So there is conflict between Ishmael and Isaac. And Ishmael is separated. Then comes Isaac. Isaac has two kids and they are twins. It gets even more complicated. But the prophecy is said the younger shall serve, the elder shall serve the younger. So you know it is Jacob. So you know come down to know it is going to come from Jacob. When it comes to Jacob, he has 12 sons and one daughter. 12 sons and one daughter. The immediate, if we didn't know the whole story, immediately if you were the devil, you would think it is Dina, <coughs> the offspring of the woman. He's got 12 sons and one daughter. It is her child that is going to mess me up. So you know what? Messed her up. Messed her up. Okay? Messed her up. So you will see this continuing. It's always this this whole thing continuing. And uh, first the giants were born in the whole world. Then it is localized to Canaan. Because you know it is from this land it is coming in. But it is a mystery unfolding. And uh, nobody is very sure until Christ comes. Christ comes. So you need to understand there are other reasons also why Dina got messed up. But (coughs) the thing is that one of the things which we need to understand is, yes, we talk about gender equity and equality and all that, but we are living in a fallen world. <coughs> fallen world. And in the fallen world, it doesn't matter what you say. A woman is not going to have the same kind of freedom the man will have on the streets. She will be always in harm's way. Yes. In Malayalam, we have a saying that whether a thorn falls on a leaf or a leaf falls on a thorn, it's the leaf that gets harmed and not the thorn. Okay. So, there is there's never going to be a 100% secure environment for women in this world. When will it happen? It will happen when Jesus comes. During the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ, when he will ruin through the saints with the scepter of iron, you will be safe. You will be safe. Women will be safe. So it is bound. Men are bound to see that the women folk are safe. And we have to teach that to our girls. Don't go out late in the night. Don't dress inappropriately. Don't get into harm's way. Yes, we understand you want to be free like the boys. But the problem is, you know what? It's a dangerous world out over there. Once you get messed up, it's very difficult to repair the damage. It will make, The scars may last for a lifetime. And you need to ask yourself to Dina, was it worth going shopping in Shikane? Was it worth it? Was it worth it? No, it was not worth it, right? It was not worth it, okay? So these are simple lessons. It is just about safety. We are not fighting. We are not saying that you are not equal or any with the right. This got not the right. Like I said, when you get into a car, what's the first thing that you do? You put your seatbelt. Meaning, I want to reach from this place to that place, but in one piece. 
Okay, the first thing is not reaching a place. The first thing is security. You need to be secure. And that's the first thing that we do with women folk. You know what? They need to be secure. And then you need to ask, if you do these, these, these things, if you dress in this, this, this way, will you be more secure or less secure? Why do you want to be less secure? <coughs> okay, less secure. Yes, you need to understand. The world is full of wicked men and wicked women. Wicked women. Brothels are run by madams yes. and pimps. Wicked women who will sell women. And these women are some, sometimes more evil than men. Okay, you look at the wicked women in the, in the Bible and the good women in the Bible. And you look at the evil men in the Bible and some of these women were more evil than the men. So you need to realize you are always a target. Children are targets. Women. It goes that way. Babies, children, women. But these are all the weaker people in a society. Weaker people in a society. So you are always picked on. So what do we need to do? We need to protect our babies. We need to protect our children because there's a lot of what you call child abuse. And we need to protect our women folk because the next target is the women. It is the women. And the least harmed ones are men. Men. I'm talking full-grown men. They are not harmed so much. These three are vulnerable people in the society and we are duty-bound to see that. And therefore, you know what? We restrict personally, I would say personally restrict our own freedoms. Restrict our own freedom. Are we free? Yes. But are all freedoms good? No. No. They are not good. They are not good. Ultimately, Mm. you destroy your life. Yes, Pastor Vijay. Question number seven. With all that is going on in the world, especially USA, you mean to tell me God is allowing all this evil? Children to be raped and molested, killed, children's bodies being eaten and roasted? Will God allow so much of evil? See, if you look at this, this particular question, okay, somebody asking this, who knows what happens in the circle, but this has been happening for thousands of years. This is nothing new. This is nothing new. This was precisely the reasons God cleaned out Canaan of all those seven nations, because this is what has been happening. You see this consciousness of this is abuse, and this is morally abhorrent and evil, only came with the onset of Judaism and Christianity. Mm. Before that, this was an accepted norm of the world. Children were just... If you go back and check history, you will see there is no concept about a child until you have the law being given. There's no concept about child. You go back and look into any ancient paintings, the oldest you can go. The child is dressed like an adult. There's no specific child patterns. Dressed like a child, there's no specific children's literature. There's no specific child life in ancient days. And child were used as objects of sex in the ancient world. And there was nothing wrong. They did not even... Because the conscience of men, after they had gone away from God, okay, there is... Right, it is Acts 14. Yes. God allowed nations to go their own way. There's a portion in the book yeah, of Acts. 1415 actually. Yeah? 1415, Acts 1415. Acts 14. Acts 14. Right. Yeah, 16. 
14:16 look at this what god is in the past he let all nations to go their own way yalla he handed them over to a reprobate mind what romans 1 is not just talking about today it is from the beginning a reprobate mind he allowed people to go if you do not want to keep in your conscience what is right and what is wrong you will allow nations to go that way children were abused children were used for sex homosexuality was rampant everything you have to read ancient history you will be you will be shocked only if you have a christian conscience otherwise you won't be shocked it is a norm it is a norm okay now we are reverting back to that children are used for sacrifices why to gain power for the parents and we know it has been true in all pagan cultures they sacrifice children okay and now see let us be honest about it when was child marriage abolished in india after the british. after the british came and the christians they were the ones who used and uh, it was william bendick is the one who abolished it so what is a child marriage what is a child marriage a 5 year old child 6 year old child 8 year old child getting married off to an older man okay and what is it today it would be considered abuse <laughs> but it was sanctioned by the society in all cultures even now it is taking place <laughs> nobody is stopping it it takes place okay if the police guys to go to stop in some villages the villages will beat the police up okay all these things are taking place so when we are talking about children being killed and children being used for sacrifices and the sexual molestation and all that takes place remember this has been taking place from time immemorial and genesis chapter 6 is basically about that every thought and inclination of man was evil and god had to put an end to it by wiping it out so does god intervene no it does not because like i said there's a day kept for that the problem is we look at certain sins as very bad which is true and certain sins are tolerable but god doesn't intervene like that when he intervenes he has to put an end to all sin all sin and in his grace he is allowing us time because if like it is going to be 8 o'clock on the 3rd of april let us say by 8 if god decides judgment is set everybody is set everybody is set and suddenly we will realize no i don't want to be set because i am not ready <laughs> so you can't say let the rapist be dealt but leave the liar alone it's like the nursery rhyme no policeman policeman don't arrest me because i only sold silver he sold gold but both are thieves we see certain sins as less and certain sins okay the effects of certain sins may be more traumatic but sin is sin and every sin is against a holy god yes okay so we need to understand god doesn't intervene directly he doesn't intervene directly and he has never done it what he has done is that he has made a solution for that and that is what what we say good friday is all about he has made possible for sinners to come back to god and to be cleansed of their sins so this is the time of salvation the day of judgment is coming when the day of judgment comes for a thousand years we will see all this will cease everything will cease there will be no sin normal ben 
flesh and blood men, fallen man, living under the saints, but there will be no manifestation of sin. And they won't like that rule. <laughs> they won't like that rule. And Satan is bound for a thousand years, so he cannot come and tempt also. But the minute he is released, God is to show us the warped nature of the fallen nature of man. Once he's released, he still is able to get all those nations to go against Christ. That is when the final end comes. So when you're happening, seeing all these things happen, why was Israel sent into captivity? Why did he allow his own people to be destroyed by the Babylonians, the temple destroyed, the city destroyed, allowed them into captivity? Because that's what they also ultimately did. But Manasseh, the Bible says, he filled the streets of Jerusalem with innocent blood. Innocent blood. Okay, innocent blood. So, <coughs> that is how we have to look at it. God is not going to intervene mm. like that. Also, question number five. <coughs> we'll stop with that. Yes. Yeah. Even when we sin, God gets upset. But does he forgive us right away when we confess? Does it take time for God to forgive us? <laughs> uh, that's a cute question. But the thing is that uh, if your repentance is genuine, God forgives you right away. See, God is the only one who knows. Man can only hear the confession. God is the only one who sees the heart. God is the sees the heart. Okay, uh, when you, when we are parents and when our children do something, you know, when they are small, when they do something, their consciences are very sensitive, sensitive yes. and they will cry and say sorry immediately. We forgive them, but it's a little later as they're growing up, we will also say that's crocodile tears. I'm sorry. I said you are not sorry. <laughs> you are not sorry at all. Now you need to prove yourself you are sorry. Your behavior has to change. Then I will know you are sorry. Otherwise, you are just saying you are sorry. You know, sorry is the easiest word in English language. Okay, so when we are talking about confession, you need to realize, is that confession coming from a repentant heart? That's what God is looking for. But, per se, if you look at it, God will still take you on face value. Even Ahab, when he was sorry, mm. and went around mourning, God said, okay, Take it off. But later he finished him off. But at that point he accepted his repentance on word, on face value. Mm. Let us say accepted and restrained his hand from judging him. So <coughs> there are two sides to it. But ultimately, let me tell you, when we sin, God gets upset. But does he forgive us right away when we confess? Usually he does. Usually he does. Okay? And he doesn't take time to forgive. God doesn't do that. Because he also told us, even if your brother comes seven times seventy. What does it mean? Seven times seventy mean he's still not fully convinced. He's <laughs> still doing the same things. So if God expects man to, in a day, forgive for the same thing, seven times seventy, then doesn't God do it? Yes, God does it. Did we look at question number four? This much is done. Already. We did it last time. Yeah, so huh? I think that we're done actually for the day. Oh, okay, okay. Because uh, we have question number one and two, but I think that's... that's too long, yeah. It's too long. As of now. So you can just stop it here if you want. Uh, we look at chapter oh, question number three and stop it. Uh, How would you interpret... Yeah, we, already, we, already we, did we did it? Yeah, oh, okay, okay, fine. So we will stop there <coughs> and we shall pray. 
And tomorrow is Resurrection Sunday. And also, this one is Communion Sunday. So, be prepared for both the service and for the communion. And we shall gather in the house of God, keeping the protocols of the government. Please, everyone, JDC Hyderabad listening. <coughs> Please, if you have COVID symptoms, stay home. But otherwise, see that you wear the mask. And the ushers see that the sanitizer is down there and temperatures are taken. We, we keep the protocols. You don't have to worry about it, but please be keep the safety guidelines. And uh, post-service, we will have lunch and we shall disperse. Okay, last year we did not have, we couldn't. So we, this year, we shall gather for Resurrection Sunday. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we just evening, we just come to you, Lord. We just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. We just want to worship you, Lord. Yes, Father, terrible things keep happening every day around the world by wicked men and women in their thirst for power and domination. But one day we know all this will end. And the worst the ones who are affected the worst are the weak, the helpless, the children, the women. I pray, Father, all we can do is pray that it will stop. Righteous men and women in power and authority will rise up and put an end to it as much as possible, Lord. But Lord, you are not caught by surprise by anything. We believe these children Though they may die in their bodies, their souls are safe with you. All we can do is what we are called to do, to pray and to preach the gospel. For the gospel is the power of God and the salvation for every man, even the most wicked man and women can be saved through the power of the gospel. So I pray, Lord, all of us will do our part to stop this abuse. That we will pray, we will proclaim the word. Like Saul of Tarsus was going around arresting Christians, killing Christians, when he was arrested by God on that road, that stopped. I pray, Lord, we will understand what prayer can do. What the word of God, the gospel can do and do our part. We commit the night into thy hands. Plead the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus over the body of Christ. Many ill around the world, maybe within Hyderabad too. And I speak healing into every body, especially of this COVID virus. Amen. Yes, we Lord. Bind it in the, the name, name of Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. And we speak healing and wholeness into the body of Christ. Yes. <clears throat> and strength, Lord. And I come against that spirit of fear. There's so much fear, Lord. Mm. You have not given us the spirit of fear, but you have given us the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind, Lord. Amen. And I pray people will walk in it, believe in it, and walk in it, Lord. If you tarry to come tonight, and you give us another day in the land of the living, help us to be in your house to worship you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, we worship you, we glorify you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.